Before you sit down, why don't you take a couple minutes and greet one another, shake hands. You don't know somebody, introduce yourselves. for you. All right. Hope you all feel welcomed and loved and all that this morning. So besides uh, sickness, it seems to be going around. It's a lot of people. Uh, we have uh, 30 of our men out at the men's retreat this weekend. So if you look around and go, where are all the men that usually are here? They're out at top of the world actually having a, having a really good time. In fact, I've got to tell you a, a story. Um, and, and I preface it by saying that Pastor Chad's okay. All right? He's okay. But uh, yesterday, he, he sort of had an accident while he was out there. Uh, they had stocked the uh, pond with these black piranha from the Amazon. And uh, some guy accidentally fell in while he was fishing, and Pastor Chad just dives in to help him, and he comes up with this piranha on his hand, and no, I'm just teasing. <laughs> he did have an accident, but he's going to be okay. By the time I got there yesterday afternoon, uh, they had it all bandaged up and had a splint on it and everything, and um, they had super glued it. I guess that's what men do when they're out in the middle of nowhere. Something like that happens, they just super glue it. So anyway, he's going to be fine. A um, couple other things. Ladies, uh, since we've uh, talked about the men's retreat, ladies, uh, because of uh, your Bible study, weekly Bible study being dis- discontinued through the summer, they are going to have a couple of activities and fellowships for ladies in our church throughout the summer. And one is coming up this Saturday. So if you'd like to find out about that, when, where, all the information about it, all that, please go out into the lobby after the service at the uh, women's table. And if you want to go, just sign up. Uh, that's all you have to do. If you have any questions, uh, please see my wife, Lisa. Uh, she'll be out there in the lobby after the service is over. Uh, so anyway, there's that. And then uh, I'm asking all of our, and you will get an email about this tomorrow too, because I realize a lot of our people aren't here today that normally are here So I want to make sure everybody knows about this, but I'm asking, calling on our people here at the Oasis to set aside this coming Tuesday as a day of prayer, because it is Tuesday at two o'clock when Scott and Dave are going to be making the proposal on this land over here on Chandler Heights. So please just keep Tuesday in your prayers, bathe that in prayer, and especially around two o'clock if you wouldn't mind saying a prayer for that, um, we're just praying for God's will, but we're excited. So last week, 
uh, I shared with you. So I just want to, again, remind you where this is. So if you go down Riggs Road and you go to Gilbert Road and you go north on Gilbert to Chandler Heights and then you go west at Chandler Heights or take a left on Chandler Heights, this property sits about four to five-tenths of a mile on your right or on the north side down Chandler Heights Road. It's about eight acres, and uh, we're just praying for God to be in all this. This is something that, as leaders and as the building team, we've been drawn to. We're totally unified in. It meets almost all the criteria of the land we've been looking for. So just pray with us, and we'll see what God does about that. Uh, At the end of our service, after we're done our last song, uh, we have a couple weeks where we want to promote our VBS coming up at the end of the month. So Crystal, our children's ministry director, is going to be coming over, and we're just going to share a really short one-minute promo video about VBS, and then just have her make a few comments, and then we'll wrap up our service. But before we do that, let's get into the Word of God this morning. Romans chapter 4, as we continue our study in the book of Romans. And I know this may seem very shocking and surprising to most of you, but I I even, if there can be a case, I'm even more excited, more passionate about sharing this passage with you today than I even normally am. Because I truly believe as as I meditated on this, as I grasped some, not all, of what God has in this passage for all of us, I just came to really have the conviction that this passage today is going to change at least one person's life in a profound way. That at least one person in here, that the whole trajectory of their life is going to change after hearing this message. Because this, this is just such a, an important thing to talk about. We're going to talk about faith today. And, and if I had to title this message today, it would probably be, how do I, how do the promises of God become a reality in my life? I think that's what I would say. How do the promises of God become reality in my life? Uh, many of us, even as Christians, we fail to really experience all that God has for us and wants us to experience in life. A lot of times because our faith isn't really engaged. We don't let God be God enough to really see him do miracles and do spectacular things. Because it's really hard for us in our day and age, even as Christians, to not be influenced by the ways of the world. That it's, it's, it's hard for us to release control of things. It's, it's hard for us not to do something, if you will, other than just trust God. And yet, what God is going to say here in Romans chapter 4 to us is, if we ever really want to experience God and see Him do unbelievable things, see Him do supernatural things that can only be explained as that, then we've got to be willing to sort of let go and let God. We can't do it, because otherwise then, where's room for God in that equation? And so that's what Paul is talking to the Roman Christians about today, and wanting to challenge and encourage us with today as well. And he uses Abraham, obviously someone very familiar to Jew and Gentile, as his example. I'm going to begin in verse 13 of Romans chapter 14, where we left off last week. 
And notice he starts off talking about the promise to Abraham. He says, for the promise that God made to Abraham or to his descendants that he would inherit the world was not fulfilled through the law. It wasn't fulfilled through Abraham being good enough or obedient enough, a good enough person. And of course, again, remember, that's what we were building on from last week. If you ask the majority of people out there in the world today, you know, if they're going to get to heaven or if they have any hope of heaven, the majority of response, even from church going people many times is, well, I hope I'm good enough. I hope that at the end of my life, if God weighs my good works and my bad works and all of that, that somehow I've, I've done enough to attain to eternal life and eternity in heaven. But we know the Bible teaches that's how not one comes into a relationship with, with God that way. And that because of that, because it's by grace, not by what I could ever do, because I could never do enough to attain that standard, that that's how I can be sure and confident of it, because it doesn't rest on me, it rests on the Word of God. So Paul now is building on that assurance that we can have on God's Word when he says, hey, and the promise God gave to Abraham about that one day his descendants would inherit the world to come, he says that was not fulfilled through the law, but through the righteousness that comes by faith. By trusting and believing in what God said. By taking God at his word. By fully resting in what God said. And so throughout this passage we're going to look at today, Paul's going to talk to us about faith. But I want to get through these other couple verses because it's basically teaching the same thing. Again, Paul says in verse 14, If they became heirs by the law, faith then is empty. The word in the Greek means futile, literally to take away the power of. In other words, Paul's saying, if I could work for it, if I could earn it, if I could merit it, if I could be good enough, that somehow through my actions, I could then receive the reality of God's promises in my life, then Paul says that takes away the power of faith. Where is there room for faith? It either has to be one or the other. Either I will experience the reality of God's promises in my life by somehow me measuring up to it and I earn it, or it's by resting on what God said, knowing that there's no way I could do enough to earn it just like Abraham, and that's how I can rest in it, that's how I can be confident in it. And that's what he says. Faith is empty, and notice what he says in verse 14, then the promise is nullified, literally meaningless, because it is based upon an impossible condition, that condition being, I've got to somehow measure up to enjoy the promise that God has given. And Paul says, but it was never based on that, if you read the Bible, that that's always been the case, that the foundation of God's promises are by grace, which is what he goes along in verse 15 to say, the law brings wrath, the removal of God's protection. God lets us do what man wants to do because he gives us a free choice. But if we turn our backs on God, then those free choices apart from God end up leading to a life of emptiness, meaningless, loneliness, worthlessness, unfulfillment, 
unsatisfaction. That's why people today keep trying to go from one thing to another, the next new thing, because they're looking for something in the world that can fill that void and totally fulfill them and satisfy them. And the Bible clearly says the only thing that will do that Because material things cannot do that. Status cannot do that. Popularity cannot do that. Nothing can do that. The only thing that can do that is a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. That's what fulfills us. That's what satisfies us. So Paul goes on to say that in verse 16. For this reason, it is by faith, out of faith as its source, so that it may be by grace. What is grace? It is the undeserved favor of God. It is something that is freely given by God. I don't have to earn it. I don't have to work for it. I don't have to try to be good enough. All I have to do is go out there and grab it and receive it. That's all I have to do. The problem is many people never do that. You know, here's the promises of God out there, but they never really become a reality in our lives. Because we never really do trust and believe that makes a difference in the way we live. Because true belief, true faith, true trust is going to change the way I live. See, faith is not something that is passive. Faith is not something that is mere intellectual assent to a set of facts. Faith is actually something very active. And, And let me say this at this point. And I've shared this with you before, but it's a good reminder at this point in this message. Every human being lives by faith. It's not like, well, Christians, you Christians, you live by faith and the rest of us, you know, we live another way. No, every human being lives by faith because every one of us, whether you're a Christian or not, you live your life in trusting yourself or in trusting something or someone else all the time. You do. You know, whatever that looks like, you go out to eat in a restaurant. You're trusting that the the people who prepared your food did it the right way so that you don't get food poisoning. That's faith. That's trust. You go down to Sky Harbor Airport and you get on a plane. You are trusting that that airplane company and that pilot or whatever is going to get you safely to your destination. Every human being lives by faith. But what the Bible would say is, that we need to realize that in that, when we are trusting or entrusting ourselves to something or someone other than God, eventually it's going to break down. Eventually it's going to fail. Eventually they will disappoint us. You see, where God says, if I've told you something, that will not fail. I will always follow through with what I have promised you. I will be trustworthy. I am always reliable. I am always dependable. And so you can rest your full weight on me. You can trust me completely, you see. I mean, we even make the differentiation even in our interpersonal human relationships. Because... There are people in your life or in your circle that you're going to trust more or less than other people. You're going to have less faith in some people and more faith in others. And yet, hopefully, you know that even in the people that you trust the most, they're still people. 
And they're still at some point going to disappoint and fail you. So God is saying to us, look, I want you to live by faith. That's the message of the Bible. The just shall live by faith. God wants his people to live by faith, but not faith fully trusting and resting in the things of this world, which don't last, or in other human beings totally. I mean, obviously, to have relationships, we need to trust each other to a point. But God is saying, I want you to put your full weight. I want you to trust me absolutely, completely, because that's the way you really live. Is when you're totally resting all of your weight in me and not putting your faith in other things or other people. Because, see, we all know the the disillusionment, the disappointment, the discouragement when people in this world trust in other things that they thought they could trust in and then those things are pulled out from, from them. I've talked to many people here in the Valley since I moved who lost millions of dollars in the stock market. I've talked to many people over the years who thought, boy, I, I invested all my life in that company and they just cut me loose. You know, I I thought I could work there the rest of my life. There's always going to be things like that. And that's why God is saying, if you want to navigate life, then begin to live by faith in me. I'll take care of you. And I can be always trusted. Because my promises to you are not based on whether you are good enough or measure up. None of us would ever get there. Abraham would have never gotten there. Abraham, though, heard the promise of God to him and went out and grabbed it and put his faith in it and trusted in it because it was by grace. It was freely given to him by God and all he had to do was get out there and just receive it, which is what God's trying to encourage us to do today. That's how God's promises become reality in our life. That's how we see God begin to do supernatural, unbelievable things that can't be explained any other way than by God and do miracles in our life. It's simply by getting out there and grabbing hold of the promises of God and truly believing in them. That's what Paul's trying to encourage us by the story of Abraham. Notice what he says. For this reason, verse 16, it was by faith so that it may be by grace with the result that the promise may be certain. Guaranteed, stable. How can I have stability? Because I'm not trusting in myself to somehow keep up to a certain level in order to experience the promises of God. I'm standing in God's grace. And I realize Abraham wasn't good enough. You know, Moses wasn't good enough. None of the Bible characters that we put on pedestals was good enough. None of us are good enough. We all have to seize God's promises by grace. It's not a matter of, okay, if I'm this, then the promises of God kick in. Paul's saying, no, it's freely given. Go out there and grab it by faith. Then he says, these promises were certain, not only to those who are under the law, speaking about believing Jews, but also to those who have the faith of Abraham, believing Gentiles, who is the father of us all. Verse 17, as it is written, God says to Abraham, I have made you the father of many nations. And that's true. 
It was a promise that God gave to Abraham. By the way, Abraham is the only character, the only figure in world history that is basically at the center of three major world religions. The Muslim faith has Abraham as a central figure. Obviously, the Jewish faith has Abraham as a central figure. And obviously, our Christian faith has Abraham as a central figure. We know, based on history, that this is a true statement. God followed through with his promise to Abraham. But how did the promise of God to Abraham become reality? Notice what it says. Verse 17. This is a key verse. Underline it, meditate on it, memorize it, not only today, but in the days ahead in your life. He is our father, speaking of Abraham, in the presence of God, whom he believed. The God who makes the dead alive and summons the things that do not yet exist as though they already do. Here's the first sort of major sub-point in this message on the importance of faith and how do we... Uh, how do we find the realities of God's promises in our life? By faith. And here's the first thing. It really comes down to the object of our faith. Because you'll notice here in verse 17, who or what or where is the object of Abraham's faith? It is God himself. He is our father in the presence of God whom he believed. Abraham looked to the one who made the promise. God himself. And he, he's saying, what kind of God is he? Abraham says, well, I believe he is a God that can raise the dead. I believe that he can bring to life things that are absolutely lifeless. That's my spiritual conviction. That's what I believe about my God. And I believe not only that, but my God as the creator God can literally create things out of nothing. And he can call things by name and he can bring them to life. That's my God. And so Paul is saying, that's what's really important about faith. That more important than anything else, the object of our faith is the most important thing to nail down. That's why Jesus said, a person can have faith even the size of a mustard seed, which isn't very big faith. But if it's in the right object, God, then great things can be done. See, it doesn't need to be the size of our faith as much as what is our faith in. Who is primarily the object of our faith? And in Abraham's case, one of the reasons why the promises of God became a reality in his life is because he was putting his faith not in himself. That would have been law. I can, you know, measure up or be good enough. He wasn't putting his faith in someone else, in some system. He was putting his faith in his God that he knew and that he had a conviction about. And that's who he was trusting. God himself. Who's your God? What is your concept of God? Because that's the most important thing any person can really answer. Besides maybe even believing whether there is a God or not. Is if you believe in God, how big is he? How great is he? Do you believe in this God? And here's a, here's a thing too. Do you believe that this God will do these things for you as much as he did them for Abraham? Because can I tell you, that's even where a lot of Christians even sort of fall, if you will. 
is they'll say in their head, I know my God, just like Abraham can bring the dead to life. I know my God can call things into existence that never existed. I know that. But he only does that for other people. He never does that for me. Because then they go right back to law. I'm not good enough. I haven't done enough. I don't measure up. And God will always do spectacular, supernatural things for others, but not for me. See, Paul's saying, oh, now you put yourself back under law instead of grace. When you think that way. See, we not only have to know who our God is and what we really believe God can do, but we've got to believe he can do it and will do it for us. The only thing we have to do is trust, is believe, is have faith in this God who can do these things. Let me ask you today, how about in your life? What do you think God could do? Do you truly believe He can bring things to life that are totally lifeless. Can I tell you, as a pastor for 30 years, and even forget pastor, just a human being for 52 years, I've seen God do it. I've seen God do it in my own life. I've seen God do it in families' lives. I've seen God do it multiplied over hundreds and hundreds of times. Where things that seem totally hopeless and lifeless, when God is allowed to be a part of it, how God can change things and transform things. If we believe in Him, and how things that don't even exist at this point can be brought into existence by God, if we look to Him as the object of our faith. But see, we will miss it all. If we don't let go and let go of the control we want. And where we try to bring it about. And God, I'm going to do. Well, if we're doing it, then what room is God? does God have left to do what only he can do? See, that's where Christians have to learn to truly live by faith. Because we sort of short circuit the great things that God wants to do. Because we can't relinquish control. We got to be involved. We got to do it. And Abraham and Sarah are a great example that even after God gave them the promise and even after they believed in the promise, they couldn't wait for God to fulfill it in his time. So they went out and did it themselves and made a big mess of things, didn't they? Just like we do. Because we can't wait. So God, I got to take matters into my own hands and do it myself and bring it about. Yeah, well, we know what happens when Abraham and Sarah brought it about. And we do the same thing in our lives. See, Paul's saying, you really want to see God do great things, supernatural things, miracles and all this? Then sit back and just trust and let God do it. As long as you and I are doing it, then we don't leave room for God to do what only he can do. So there's the object of faith. But notice, the Bible teaches the reality of faith. And what I mean by that is, Unlike what a lot of people think, especially non-Christians, when they view Christians, they think, you Christians just put your head in the sand. You, you, you don't really deal with reality, which is just the opposite of what we're learning in the book of Romans. That if anybody really deals with reality and not denial and, and not the ostrich in the head in the sand, it, it should be Christians. 
And Paul's saying the same thing. He said, look, Abraham didn't like create something that, that it really wasn't that bad or something. Abraham owned up to what, from a human perspective, how bad this all was. Notice what it says in verse uh, 17. He's the father, or excuse me, verse 18. Against hope. In other words, from the human perspective, there was no ground for hope in the promise God gave to Abraham. Against hope. Abraham believed in hope with the result that he became the father of many nations. According to the pronouncement, so will your descendants be. Why? Without being weak in faith, he considered his own body as dead, as powerless, because he was about a hundred years old, and also the deadness and inability of his wife's womb, Sarah, who was 90 years old. He faced reality. He didn't sit there and go, well, maybe things aren't as bad as they really are. You know, I'm pretty spry for a hundred. My wife, Sarah, she still got it at 90. So maybe we just need to be inspired by the word and promise of God, but we still do it. No. Abraham says, if it's up to us at this point, there ain't no child coming from our union. We're, we're past that. Humanly speaking, there's no way a child could come from us at this point. Yet that's what God promised. God came to Abraham and said, you're going to have a child. And, and can you just picture it? Sort of went this way. Abraham's having his devotions one day. And God comes down and says, Abraham, I got something special for you. You and your wife Sarah's going to have a baby. What? Yeah, you're going to be the father of many nations. And it's going to start with a miracle. It's going to start with something only I could do. But you need to trust me. You need to really believe that I can do this. Not you, but I can. And you know the story. Abraham, like a typical man, he, he comes to Sarah and he wants to share it with her, but he doesn't really have, so he just sort of blurts it out. That's what men do, you know. Sarah, guess, guess what God told me during my devotion time today? What, honey? What, what did he tell you? We're going to have a baby. And the Bible says Sarah laughed. She's like, yeah, right. And if, if you know the, the story, God was there. He was still there. And, and God turns to Abraham and says, why is Sarah laughing? Is there anything impossible for God? And then, and then Sarah goes, oh, I, I wasn't laughing. And the Lord said, oh, yeah, you were. He didn't let her get away with it. See, he, he faced a reality. The reality is, humanly speaking, these two couldn't have a child. He wasn't denying it. He wasn't creating some fantasy world of make-believe, living a life of illusion like many people do today. No, he was saying, this will never happen if it's just left to us humans. But when you begin to bring God into the equation, even in human reality, things can change. And so I want you to understand the reality of faith. It's not that God wants you to look at your situation or your circumstance as bad or dire or whatever it might be and somehow go, well, it's really not that bad. 
No, because it's actually in facing the reality that we elevate God and the promise of God and let God be God and let him show us what he can do whenever reality is really what it is. Rather than trying to pretend like it's not really as bad as it is. Let it be what it is and let God show up and do something awesome. That's what Abraham and Sarah had to do. Now, there will come a crisis of faith. Because notice what it says in verse 20. He did not waver in unbelief about the promise of God. Now listen, folks, that doesn't mean that somehow Abraham was any different than us, this superhuman Bible character that many times people put on pedestals. It doesn't mean that Abraham didn't have his days of doubt. It didn't mean that Abraham didn't struggle at times. In the Greek language, what it does mean is that at the end of the day, when all was said and done and he wrestled with his thoughts and all of this about how could this happen? Is this really going to happen? He landed on the fact that my God can do this. That's what it means. He did not waver in unbelief. It meant when it all was said and done, he didn't hesitate or doubt. He was totally willing to commit himself to God, knowing that God could do this. I can't do this. Sarah can't do this. But God can do this. And therefore, there was this crisis of faith where back and forth, back and forth. And that's going to be true in our lives as well, even as Christians. Because sometimes we're going to be like Abraham and Sarah in the midst of a humanly impossible circumstance or situation where we don't see any way out. And then it's like, do I trust God? Do I not trust God? Do I trust God? Do I not trust God? That's all part of it. And there's nothing wrong with that testing of our faith or that crisis of our faith. As long as, like Abraham, when all is said and done, when we finally make the choice in our heart, we totally commit ourselves to God and say, God, I believe you can do it. And I'm going to actually actively rest in that. And I'm going to stop striving and wrestling inside of myself. And I'm going to trust you. So don't, don't be hard on yourself whenever you're faced with a situation in your life where even though you believe in God and you believe that God is the object of your faith and you're facing a reality that seems to be impossible that somehow you might have your doubts. Abraham had his doubts. We know that. Sarah had her doubts. We know that. But at the end of the day, they finally rested in the promise of God. They believed in God. And that's where God wants us to be. That's how we really begin to see God work in our life. He did not waver, verse 20, in unbelief about the promise of God. But notice, was strengthened in faith, giving glory to God. Here's an unbelievable truth that the Bible teaches. That when any human being totally trusts God puts their faith in God, that God will empower them. And notice it. Paul says, he doesn't empower us when the circumstances change. It doesn't say he empowers us when our situation changes. It says he was strengthened in his faith or through his faith. When Abraham believed God, God, one of the things that God will do in our lives is he will empower us. There's a power in our lives when we trust God. And that's what Abraham was experiencing. And then it also goes on to say, and he gave God glory. It simply meant that 
when Abraham was trusting God to do the impossible that only God could do, then that magnified God in other people's eyes. Because they're like, Abraham, I heard you think you're having a son. Yeah. Aren't you and Sarah a little old? Oh, yeah. If it was up to us, we couldn't do it, but I'm trusting God. Oh. See, when we trust God, then we ascribe to God the, the glory that is due him. We're showing in our lives by the choices and decisions we make to trust God that we're not trusting in ourselves. We're not trusting in other people or other things. We're putting our faith and trust in God. And that elevates God. That shows people, my goodness, he's a God that these people are staking their whole life on. They're staking eternity on. That's some God. And they seem to know him. See, it does just the opposite with God. It belittles God. It demeans God whenever we don't trust him. Because then not only in our lives, but in other people's lives who are watching us, it's like we're showing them whether we say it or not, my God can't be trusted. I can't trust my God's word. I can't believe in what God says. I can't grab a hold of his promises and live by them. So I'm going to take matters into my own hands and take care of it myself. See, when we, like Abraham, when we truly trust God and believe in him, not only does God empower us, he literally pours his power into our lives so that we are living by a power that is not our own, but then we are truly able as his children to give him the glory that he's due because we're telling people by the way we're living Our God is awesome. He's great. There is no greater. He's the Almighty. He's the King of Kings. He's the Lord of Lords. He rose from the dead. He conquered death. He conquered sin. He conquered Satan. He can bring things to life that are dead. He can call things into existence. He's the one that created this universe. That's the God I believe in. And folks, when human beings begin to live on that kind of faith, Their whole life changes. Their whole perspective on life changes. And that's what Paul's trying to encourage us to. The object of our faith, the reality of our faith, the crisis of our faith. Notice the great reward of our faith. Back to verse 20. He did not waver in unbelief and being unwilling to commit himself to God about the promise of God, but was strengthened in faith, giving glory to God. And then notice verse 21. He was fully convinced, absolutely sure that what God promised, what God said he would do, he was also able to do it. That's faith. God said it. He can do it. By the way, the word able is a key word in the Bible in connection with God. It means one who inherently within himself has the power, the resources, the wherewithal, the wisdom to not only say what could happen, but make it happen. That's what makes God different from any other thing he ever created, including us. Because there's times where we might want something to be different, but we don't have the power or resources to make it any different. See, God is never that way. Because God is God If God says something, then God can always bring it about because he's God. He has within himself 
all the power, all the resources, all the wisdom, all the might, all the strength to bring it about. He's able. That's why I can stake my life on his promises and on his word. He was fully convinced that what God promised, he was also able to do. So notice verse 22. So indeed, it was credited. We talked about that word last week. It was permanently placed into Abraham's account as righteousness. Not because Abraham was good enough. Not because he did enough good works. Not because he was a good enough person. It was because by faith, he trusted and believed in the word of of God and what God promised. That's how Abraham could stand righteous before God. That's how any of us can stand righteous before God because we don't stand in our own self-righteousness. We can never be good enough. We stand in the righteousness provided for us by Jesus Christ who not only took our sin away as we talked about last week and removed it from us and forgave us so that we don't have to live in guilt anymore And under the weight of sin, but he also gives us a righteousness we don't deserve by grace. And Paul is saying that's the way God's promises were appropriated to Abraham as well. Same thing. Abraham didn't wait to be good enough to measure up to enjoying the promises of God. He heard what God said. He believed in the God who said it. And he went out and grabbed those promises and said, I'm going to live by them. And it made a whole difference in the way he lived. And here's the reward of faith. Keep in mind what Paul says in verse 22. So indeed, it was credited to Abraham as righteousness. Keep your finger there. We're going to come right back there in just a minute to Romans 4 and go over to the book of James real quick to James chapter 2, verse 23. And notice something that under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit... James adds to that concept that Paul revealed here in Romans chapter 4. James chapter 2, verse 23. Here's the reward of faith. James says, and the scripture was fulfilled, James 2, verse 23, that says, Now Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him for righteousness. Same thing Paul said, but adds this. And he was called God's what? Friend. That's the reward of faith. That God is not only my God, and that I not only have a relationship with Him, but the Bible says when I truly trust God to the level that Abraham did, I can become the friend of God just like Abraham was the friend of God. Because isn't real friendship, deep friendship, abiding, lasting, sustaining friendship between anybody, isn't it based on trust? And God says, when you trust me like Abraham trusted me, you can be my friend too. And and then we, we not only have a relationship with God, we have a friendship with God. And, And our whole life, even as Christians, looks different. Because we're walking with God now as a friend, not as an enemy or not, not as... As, as someone that we have this weird concept about, he truly is not only my savior, he's my friend who is there to help me and support me and encourage me every day and whom, who gave me these promises that he wants me to live by 
so that my life will be life on a higher plane, a quality of life that cannot be enjoyed apart from God. Because God will say to every human being that he ever created, I gave you free will, and you can choose to live your life apart from me, but if you choose to do that, my friend, know this. You'll never be totally fulfilled. You'll never be totally satisfied. There will always be an emptiness. There will always be a futility to life. There will always be, why am I doing what am I doing? And isn't there some bigger meaning and all of that? There will always be that gnawing at every human being that rejects God. Because the only way the Bible says, the only way God said in his word that we could find true fulfillment and satisfaction is through trusting him and having a relationship with him. And hopefully that relationship even ending in friendship with God like Abraham. That's the reward of faith. You know, this message, I had planned on landing this message this particular Sunday months ago. And yet how appropriate too for us corporately as a church. Because I believe, as I've said all along, that this isn't for us as a church even about land and buildings and a church of our own and all of that. This was always going to be about a step of faith for us. It was always going to be, do we trust God to do what we can't bring about ourselves and do ourselves? Are we going to be a group of people who claim to love God and believe in God? But are we going to try to bring these things about for the future of our church? Is this who we've been in the last four years? Or has it been the reason we are at the place we are at, enjoying the blessing of God and the favor of God that we are right now? Is it because we've done it and somehow we brought this about or we trusted in God to do it? And can I just say, I believe the reason we are at the point we are at is because we're trusting God to do it. And folks, that same faith that has brought us to where we are four and a half years later after this church was started is the same faith, the same trust, the same belief that's going to get us till Jesus comes as a church as well. Because we need to be a group of people that truly believe that there's nothing impossible for God. That's why, can I tell you, I love the attitude of our leadership who's even going into that meeting on Tuesday, asking them, would you be willing to donate this land to us? We don't even have to buy it? I know there'd be people, oh, you guys are crazy. Nobody's going to do that. Oh, they might not. But it's not up to them. It's up to God. And I've seen God do crazy things like that before. See, that's what God wants to do at this moment, even as a church. He wants to magnify himself in our presence. And once again, he wants to be front and center with us. And he wants all of us to say, do I really believe in that kind of a God? Do I believe in that kind of a God in my own life? Do I believe as a church body, do we believe in that kind of a God? That he can call things to life that are dead and even call things into existence that don't even exist. Is that the God we believe? That's what God's asking of us today. What kind of God do we believe in? Let's pray. As the worship team is coming up on stage and getting ready, with every head bowed, eyes closed,
Let me ask this question today. And as your pastor, I want to look out over this audience just as a matter of praying for those of you that will raise your hand here in just a a second. Is there anyone here this morning, after hearing the truth of God's word this morning, would say, Pastor Jeff, God really spoke to my heart through his word today. I know there's something or someone or some situation or some circumstance in my life that he's really calling on me to trust him for, to trust him in right now. And and I just, I want you to be praying for me that I, even in my wrestling back and forth and sometimes hesitating and doubting that I, like Abraham, will land and I won't waver in unbelief and that when all is said and done, I'm going to trust God in this. I'm going to trust in Him. Would you just simply raise your hand for a moment if there's anyone like that? Anyone at all? Thank you. Thank you. Hands all over the auditorium. Anyone else? God wants me to trust Him in something. Trust Him for something. Thank you. You may put those hands down. Thank you. Just wait a second. I believe God wants to change lives here today. And I think all of us could see our life go a whole different direction when we let go of the control that we so desperately think we have, even though we don't. And where we let God be God. And where we begin to see God show up rather than us trying to work things out ourselves. Because God can do so much more than we could ever do. He can do the impossible. He can do the supernatural. He can go way beyond what we could ever do. Will we trust him to do it? We're going to stand and sing this song of hope today. And I hope that this closing song will be an anthem and a commitment from all of us down deep in our hearts to God today. So God, may you take the words that we're going to sing to you and may we truly mean what we're saying and singing today. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Won't you stand with me as we sing?